Well, here we are. And while he may have won an Oscar for the score of Dune, we all know Hans Zimmer's finest work can be found in the films Broken Arrow and The Rock. This is Well, Here We Are, a Some Weeks of the Month podcast, which explores the ways pop culture and the humanities matter for our daily lives by distilling them into lists of three-ish things. In this week's episode, we again will discuss neither pop culture nor the humanities because we have a guest on the pod. Elise Creelman is here to discuss her work as a personal trainer and how her philosophy as a trainer has evolved in the past decade. She's also going to help us navigate the murky intersection between social media and fitness. I'm Hannah. And I'm Suzanne. And if you want to support our podcast with your reviews, we would super appreciate it. Five stars on Apple Reviews, and I think Spotify is doing it now, too. I believe so. They're such followers. Let us know by leaving us one, and then we can know for sure. <laughs> Especially because Elise is here, and this is what she would want. I feel like we've now made Elise sound like a mythic creature, just kind of like hanging out in the background. Uh, but she is that, obviously. And she's also a personal trainer with a background in exercise science. She's one of my good, good friends. I mean, that's not related to her background in exercise science, but I feel like it's important to say. She's worked in a rehab performance clinic and at a large-scale health club. And in 2020, she launched Train Resilient. We're going to link to that on our socials and in the notes. Her private personal training company uh, that has an expressed mission to make movement accessible to all people. She also, if I haven't mentioned it before, is my friend and coaches <laughs> JV basketball, has a massive sweet tooth, specifically a love of sour gummies, and is my depressing movie viewing buddy. Hello, Elise, and welcome to the pod. Hello. Thank you for having me. That was How a are, lovely intro. Well, you're a lovely human being. How are you feeling about being on your very first podcast? I feel nervous and excited. I am uh, excited to see. My favorite thing to do is black out a little bit when I talk about some of these things that I'm passionate about, so I can't wait. That's how I feel in all 40 of our podcasts, so you're off <laughs> to a great start. <laughs> Perfect. I'm not alone. This is great. Can you just tell us a little bit about your your background and your history with fitnessy things because even though I follow you on Instagram and I feel that we are about to become friends I don't know as much about your history as as Suzanne does so I um did major in exercise science I knew that I wanted to do something in the health and wellness space I've always been really passionate about movement always been an athlete personally and wanted to have some way to incorporate that into my long-term career I had originally thought I was going to do physical therapy. So I started out in a rehab facility, working with physical therapists, found myself then transitioning to youth speed and agility training and performance training. From there, decided I wanted to work more with either young athletes or individuals prior to them getting hurt. That switched my trajectory away from physical therapy and moved me into the training space. From that transition, I wanted to work then with more one-on-one. I was working in large groups with athletes um, and teams, but I wanted to be able to really affect change at the individual level because I know there was so much more to it when you're able to work with people one-on-one and wanted to have that experience. So then I transitioned to a health club, a local health club 
and was there for about five years. And then that's a good old. I, I don't know so how many jobs. One job. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I don't know if I've had any job that's lasted five years. <laughs> yeah. So that was, uh, yeah, that was at my health, the last health club prior to the panty. And then the good old panty kicked me out into independent work. You make work. it sound so delightful, like so Wasn't cute. It? it was. It was so. It was so interesting because I had always wondered if that was a route I was going to take, if I was going to go out in the world and and have kind of represent myself as an individual. But I loved the warm nest of being inside of a health club. It was safe, and you know there was a lot of structure, and well. Nothing like a global pandemic to really push you out of that nest. Fly, and, baby uh, bird, fly. I Yes, I, I took the leap. I think when I was at the health club, there wasn't a lot that was challenging me. I was safe. I felt really comfortable. And now that I have taken that leap to be an independent trainer, I'm starting to see just the wider array of fitness. I've dabbled in Instagram and social media um, and representing myself there. And it's been a really interesting just transformation for me personally. This might be a really basic question, but I think it'll help me and hopefully it'll help some of our listeners. When you say you're a personal trainer, like what does that actually mean? What are what are you doing? And then what are you not doing? And has that distinction between what a personal trainer does and what they don't do, has that shifted from when you were at this health club to now working for yourself? Yeah, I think um, being able to, one, have to identify what I'm going to do as a, as a small business has been really helpful for me to identify those two points of like, what do I do as a trainer? What do I not do as a trainer? So for my business, for me personally, when I'm working with someone, a lot of what you'll see is that I will work at the individual level. I'll ask really specifically about what goals, what motivations, what what ways can I support an individual through either some form of exercise-related goals, ways to manage movement in their life or more movement in their life. I have had people come to me a lot for weight loss, um, and that is in the last two years, and actually previous to that, I started moving away from actively pursuing weight loss as a goal for my clients. But often what I'll, what I'll do is I'll empower my clients to one, learn better, better body mechanics, better understanding of uh, how to move, how to create structure, how to create some goals. How, how, how to then adjust those goals as life happens and being able to make those decisions with a little more neutrality, a little more compassion. So a lot of it looks like me walking through a training program with you, whether it's going to be one over Zoom or it's in person. That's all really related to exercise, movement, creating systems around it. And what I don't do is prescribe meal plans or anything around nutrition because I am not qualified in that way. And I will say that often there are trainers in the fitness space that are also not qualified in that realm, (laughs) but we'll add that as a service because in the fitness space, often that's what you see. You see a trainer who is giving out not only workouts, but is also saying, and here's my fit, here's my nutrition plan. This is what I eat in a day. Look at me. 
this will work for you. Makes no mention to the fact that they do this professionally, that that is probably not what they eat in a day, or the fact that their genetics are different than yours. Small caveat, that is not something that I um, provide as a, as a personal trainer. But it is a, it's something if you are looking for a trainer and trying to decide certain things, it's a great question to ask. And, and then a follow-up question is, I would love to see your credentials. I mean, that does make sense. I never thought about before how a personal trainer, we think so much about health and wellness and fitness and nutrition all being part of the same basket, but how one person isn't necessarily qualified to do all of those things. I think what the challenge there is, and I'm speaking, you know, from someone who is uh, in the wellness space, who is a trainer, and who started belie- started out thinking that my only value as a trainer was, was to help you lose weight and was to walk you through something relating to a nutrition plan and then was to give you a killer workout that left you completely exhausted every time and then make you sweat. You know, like that that was my value to you. And I think since being in the industry for 10 years, I've been able to identify what I would almost say, like where my lanes are, like where my qualifications are, and then when it is time for me to refer out. So I have I have clients who who have struggled with injuries. I am not a physical therapist and I don't pretend to be. So if there's a moment where I realize this is something that needs another set of eyes, I don't put that physical therapist hat on that I'm not qualified to have, Mm -hmm. Uh, but rather I, you know, expand the network of resources for my clients and I refer them out. Um, And I think the same thing can be done around nutrition. And we are all so individual around how we eat and it's such a personal thing. And it can also be a really triggering thing, the culture we live in. Food is just this really polarizing moral thing, and it can be a, a real disservice to someone if if I decide to put that nutrition hat on and give a meal plan to someone, they can't, they fail, you know, whatever failure looks like, and then their relationship around that has changed. You said the relearning process started when you were already at the health club, right? Mm-hmm. So was that ever in conflict with the priorities of the health club? I guess I'm what I'm curious is about this like mechanism of relearning and unlearning things. Was that an intentional choice you made? Or as you look to start your business, as you were diversifying the voices that you were hearing, is it something that kind of just organically happened? What was that process of re of self-re-education like for you? When I was at the health club, there was um, like a, a weight loss program that was all encompassing. It had a team of support around the individuals that went through it. And so I was one of those teams of support. They had um, counselors, doctors, dietitians, trainers. And so I was one piece of the puzzle. So that was an air, uh, that was a way for me to take that that pressure of of giving any type of nutrition advice off my plate. While I was at the health club, though, every individual who came to me for training, I cannot tell you, maybe on one hand, whenever I would sit down and we would speak about goals, we'd always end with, and how much weight do you want to lose? 
Hmm. I mean, maybe Hmm. on one hand, I can tell you how many people didn't have weight loss goals. And I worked there for five years and I've had, you know, many of these consultations. My value to my client was helping them lose weight. Exercise, the only role it played in their life was to help them lose weight. Over the course of those, those years working with different clients and seeing people struggle with that relationship with exercise and the, the scale and then them determining whether or not they were successful while also getting strong, getting more mobile, getting a better autonomy in the gym, being able to do things they've never done before, starting to move without pain. All of those things that I saw us working toward were overshadowed whenever they stepped on the scale and realized the number wasn't what they wanted to see. Me as a trainer, you know, my value was to make my clients happy and to, I mean, again, this is me thinking this is what, this was the value I provided them. Society was like, if you're seeing a trainer, you have to have weight loss loss, uh, success to really be like, oh, you're clearly not working hard enough if, you know, X, Y, Z. Yeah, all this this other stuff is a bonus. And isn't it so great that that's happening as long as you're also... As long as you're also reflecting it on the scale. You sound like my therapist. I know we were just talking about staying in your lane, but like all the the sort of goal making and other... Like overlooking all the other benefits that are happening if you fail at the one thing that you thought you wanted is... It just sounds like my therapy. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean... and. I am not a therapist, but I spend a lot of time with my clients and we talk a lot about life and, and there is a huge like mental component to exercise and movement and it's, and, and our stress and our sleep and, and everything else that goes outside of those, that one hour, that 30 minutes of however long we're meeting. I think movement and exercise are such a cool, like kind of vessel for my clients to process things. Um, uh, like so, all to say is, I uh, started creating different goals and different focuses with my clients. Uh, I had a few that struggled, r- like the it was really triggering for them to continue to weigh in, and it was becoming a really challenging relationship with their body whenever they would step on a scale and not see the number they wanted to see, but also crush it in the gym. We were Mm -hmm. crushing it in the gym. They were PRing, they were learning new, so personal record, they were learning new moves. They were starting to get pull-ups, deadlifts, all of these things, stepped on the scale, crushed. And then we took the scale away. We stopped focusing on that and the relationship with movement changed. And so when I saw that happen with some of my clients, I was like, something here, Mm -hmm. there's another value that I can provide as a trainer. And it doesn't have to revolve around, you know, one, how they look or two, how much they weigh. It can be more about what they've accomplished, what their body's able to do, what balance they've been able to allow themselves in life to be able to both move and play. I have a lot of clients that love to explore the mountains, love love to do recreational activities outside of the gym. Like the gym is a, a necessary evil so that they can go play. And being able to to create these goals that have nothing to do with how they look or how much mass they have on their bodies, but rather what movement in the gym affords them 
I think that changed how I started training people. It changed my excitement around movement. It changed my client's excitement around movement. I think it's a much less shameful and guilt heavy (laughs) approach to exercise. If I can be so bold to say that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like guilt fuels me and most things of my life, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's not actually super motivating when, for me, when it comes to moving my body. Right. What I have really worked hard with um, over the last two years or even longer with my clients has, has been like, how do we, how do we start to remove that as a motivator and look for other ways for us to approach? how we move our bodies and how we approach exercise um, and our schedules. Um, It's like, honestly, amidst a global pandemic, all of this social, social justice, all of these challenging pieces that my clients were dealing with in the last two years. And by my clients, I mean, everybody was, (laughs) we were all trying to figure out how to navigate that. And so I think as we were looking at what, what our, our uh, relationship to exercise looked like, we were so easily relying on guilt and in, in a position that we were all in for the last two years, guilt just, guilt just didn't have a, have space for us. Or Mm -hmm. I I wanted to remove that piece and give another option uh, for us to be able to kind of interact with movement because we were dealing with so much and, and there was so much on our plates and our bandwidth was just stretched. And, and I think the, like the last two years was this like large exaggeration of maybe what was accumulating for a long time for several people or for all of us. Um, but it just like came to just this max point. We've talked about this on the podcasts and just in life. But one of the really challenging things for me in the pandemic was that so much was outside of my control. So there were these like built in limits of what I could do, what I could accomplish. And, and so I could see how what you're saying a little bit is you removed guilt as a motivator because you were like, look, look at all these things that are outside of your control And one of the things that I've kind of noticed in the past few three to six months is that there almost seems to be this like, yes, we've all given ourselves grace over the past two years, but the time for grace is done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And now that this pandemic is over, in quotation marks, we've given each other too much grace and now we have to get back. So have you noticed that all this that there's a little bit of resistance to maintain that guilt-free space of movement. I'm not sure if my question is making any sense, but like, no, I think, no, I think that I have seen that it's, I I think people were more willing to, to accept that like grace is an option for me. (laughs) There's a part of me that's like, have we learned nothing? Because we're starting (laughs) to now go back into these routines that didn't serve us before the pandemic, but these are, this is what we know. These are the habits, the mindset, the ways we view our body. This is also just kind of how the, the culture around us kind of h- helps us think about exercise in our body is like, no excuses, keep moving. Yes, I'm starting to see 
the time for grace is gone. We've we've used up our grace limit. It's time to get back to the grind. And I want desperately to push back on that because I I think the last two years have showed us another option when we literally had no other option because we were all burnt out and we were we were just at the end of our rope. We can do that ongoing. That can be when we're not in crisis. That can be when we are just practicing what a normal air quote normal week looks like for us. We can have a little more grace around ourselves, around movement, around really anything that we're kind of doing in our life, uh, any stressor in our life, anyway, anything that we're having to make decisions on. When we have just a hair more compassion for ourselves, it can help making some of these tough decisions or making these tough commitments a little bit easier. So I, I think I, I want I desperately for to to help people like kind of ask ask better questions about what it is that they're they're choosing for themselves or what role exercise needs to play in their life. Especially now that people are starting to be like, I think I have space to start moving more. I think I have space to commit to an exercise program. I have space to start training for something. Now that they they have that mental space, then I, I want people to ask questions about that goal. Help you, help them understand why. That's a lot of what I'm I'm hoping that I'm providing for my clients is like them to be curious and to ask better questions, them to start thinking critically about these kind of patterns we have, the ways that we talk to ourselves, the way that we think about our bodies, the way that we even think about exercise. Those are informed a lot by our upbringing, our previous relationship with exercise, our culture, all of that. And I think it's a a good practice for us is to kind of stop and be curious about some of these thoughts or stop and be curious about these patterns because they definitely come from somewhere. So what are the questions that we should be asking? It's not apparently how much weight do I want to lose? That's apparently not the right question. (laughs) Um, I'm sure the internet can tell me. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. It would tell you lots of things. What I have actually been asking more recently is what, what role does exercise need to play in your life right now? Because I, I, I truly believe that there are seasons in our life. There are seasons that we have more control over our schedule, more control over what's going on, maybe seasons when we're uninjured or injured or whatnot. That question is, is definitely geared toward what role does exercise need to play in your life right now and helps you start to think, what role does exercise need to play and what do I think that's going to solve for me? You know, because then that, that actually helps you understand, like, what am I trying to have exercise do for me? And then it may may be able to uncover a few things of like what's motivating you to use exercise right now. I have clients right now that are training for hiking this this summer and they want to get really strong. Um, They have really specific goals around that. And now is the time for them to commit to a training program that's going to get them strong and then let them play in the mountains all summer. Or they're, you know, the main provider for their family or there's new job or they're taking on schooling or they're in a transition. In those scenarios, exercise may not be able to be the dominant role in your life. So if it's not, what role can it play? Can it be helpful in that scenario? Can it help you maintain movement for your mental health? Have it be an outlet? 
maybe because of where you're at in your life, exercise may be too stressful because stress is stress, right? All of those things are stressors in our life. Exercise is a form of stress. If we can't, we can only accommodate so much stress before our bodies need a break, right? So I think that's why I want people to ask, like in this season right now, what role does exercise need to play? Now that can change, right? Like, so for me, (laughs) surprise, I am pregnant. I am (laughs) going to have a small human in May that I have to care for. And my body has gone through a drastic change in the last eight months and will continue to change drastically for the rest of my life. And exercise has had to morph. I am a fitness professional, but I have had to change my relationship with exercise drastically knowing that it's a temporary time for me. But that has been a really enlightening thing for me to see how it can be really adaptable. But it, like exercise doesn't have to play just one role. It can change. It can be dynamic. It can morph to what we need it to be. The second part of that question was really interesting of like, not just what role does exercise play for me, but what am I hoping exercise will do for me? And Hannah, it reminds me of our 30-day challenge episode where we both seem to think that if we could just maintain movement and exercise for 30 days, that it was going to solve all of our mental health problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what they say. If you um, just make a habit for 21 days, then all your problems will be fixed. And Elise, I know you listened to this episode and probably you were not surprised to find that it did not solve those problems. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes. This is brand new information to me. Yes, I know. This is, that is really interesting because we've all, the, the role of mental health and like the importance of it has started to get like the spotlight and people starting to recognize and, and take it a little bit more seriously than we had in the past. Hand in hand, mental health and exercise, they they definitely in, um, affect each other. And I, and I think... Uh, It's important to know that workout and exercise is not therapy, that therapy is therapy and that exercise can be useful for our mental health, but it can also be a way for us to avoid our mental health. Maybe exercise is being given too much credit for what it can solve. There might be something else that we need to also add into our life or kind of another resource. At least I thought we were friends, and now you're just like putting me on blast. And- <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> we're all. I mean, it, this is yes. We are all uh, in need of this this type of uh, self reflection. This is where, if we were NPR, I listened to a lot of NPR podcasts. We would insert the ad for BetterHelp with Hesu Joe and how important therapy is, especially right now. This <laughs> podcast is not supported by BetterHelp or Hesu Joe. And we are still not supported by MeUndies, something we haven't mentioned for a while, but I just thought would be good to circle back on. What a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about questions to ask. So that's one. And then I also want people, and maybe it's not more of a more of a question, but when, so say, you know, you are simply opening up your TikTok or Instagram or YouTube, and you're looking through these short clips and you're being inundated by polished fitness professionals in their matching exercise workouts. And, and, and they're showing you this body weight or this juice cleanse or this new product. And you're just, you know, along for the ride because it's, it's the evening time. It's time to wind down for bed. 
this might be a great time uh, for people to start asking better questions about, you know, how they're using their time or what it is that they're seeing in their feed. I describe the fitness uh, and wellness um, space on social media as like the wild, wild west. (laughs) There is a lot out there and there is a lot of stuff that's really, that can be said without any type of backing. There's... Seems to operate by its own rules. It sure does. And and the last two years, I mean, our our outlets have been our phones and the internet uh, while we've all been at home and we've just been inundated with it. And what, what I would say for uh, what I've kind of talked about with my clients and with friends and even myself is like, get a little bit curious about curious about the people you're following or what it is that you're consuming, being a little bit more selective about that. Um, I I would even just be a little bit more protective about your time, (laughs) your eyeballs going over the screen. And I have made it a point for myself personally to start to curate who it is that I am following and whether it's something I want to continually let inundate my eyeballs throughout the day or at the end (laughs) of the night. Like, is that something Do the way they approach fitness, the way the things that they're saying, the verbiage they're using, is that promoting this kind of grace, compassion type approach that I want to have for myself? Or is it starting to kind of pull me the direction that our old habits, old kind of ways of thinking that I kind of want to move away from? I love to say, let's stay curious about kind of some of these things in the fitness industry and to think just a little bit more critically about who we want to follow, who we want to let influence us, dare I say, and knowing that you have permission to to not follow those people and to to not have their content roll over your screen. I recently texted Suzanne because somehow a diet ad got through my algorithm on Instagram and I reported it as spam. And I had to tell Suzanne that this terrible thing had happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's, yeah. Well, I mean, this is why like diet culture is so insidious, right? Because it, it morphs and it transforms. And so now what I've seen is these diet ads co-opting language from body positive sources and they've now co-opted that language and are now trying to use it to again repackage and sell you a diet. So I think the ad you marked as spam, Hannah, it was like, this is all about choosing yourself and and doing positive things for your body. And it's like, I see you, villain. I see what you're trying to do. <laughs> yeah, it's a wolf yeah. in sheep's clothes. There's definitely some that you're like, ah, easy to spot. And then others that you're like, oh, clever. I have a question related to this kind of philosophy of grace. I know that there's probably some people listening to this that are like, look, grace is not motivating for me. (laughs) You know, what I need is I need the drill sergeant yelling at me to get me to move. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm not moving my body. And so thank you so much for this understanding of grace, but I don't, I don't need that. What are the kind of some of the questions that you would have those people ask? I actually do have on my, on one of my running apps, I have audio cues and you can change the voice for the audio cues. And one of the ones you can choose is drill sergeant. <laughs> and I tried it once and I was like, oh no. Too like, this stressful. Is <laughs> I do not want a man shouting at me for the length of this run. I don't want a man shouting at me ever. Ever. Definitely not as I'm running. 
this is not motivating, but for some people it is. You know what is motivating though? Taylor Swift's ready for it from the Reputation <laughs> album. <laughs> oh, okay. Do I, uh, Suzanne, I gave Reputation another try, and I just like I just don't like it as much as Lover. And that's fine. You don't have to like it as much as Lover, but people that want to say that it's not worth your time are wrong. And if you say that, then you're wrong, and you're not worth my time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to give it another try. There's something about she clears her throat before she starts singing – in ready what, for it, she what, oh ready oh it's the first yeah, song on the yeah she just like thing. she does like a little throat clear and when I hear that I feel like I can run through mountains not over <laughs> mountains through the mountain like the Kool Aid guy <laughs> yeah through the brick wall that's what that song does for me I will say that there are different ways that people are motivated right like mm-hmm. some people are highly competitive and that might be a little bit as to why they want to have that pressure, want to have that, you know, being able to compete with themselves or respond better to that. But but I will say that that's not always the case for everybody, right? So I think if I'm if I'm working with someone like that, I I think I would ask like what what is motivating for you? Why why is that motivating for you? And then like how can we build a something off of that? But my follow-up is often like in a scenario where Life has happened to them. They go to the workout. They do something that is less than what they did last time. They had to lower the weight. They had a twinge in their knee. They're out of breath. They're like, oh my goodness, last week I could do this. And then this week I can only do this. My, my curiosity is then how do you, how do you speak to yourself in those scenarios when you're not able to perform at the level you, you, you know, you can, what is that drill sergeant telling you? And how can we maybe change the narrative a little bit on that? Is there an opportunity for us to look objectively at that? Because I I think it's true that some people need to have a little bit more of a grit approach to their workouts. And that's, that's fine. But I do want to make sure that they don't start treading into the role of being their biggest asshole to themselves. <laughs> Which I will say, and hopefully you don't have to bleep that out. I want to understand why. And then I want to understand what their internal dialogue is when they aren't meeting that measure they met last time. Like, how do they speak to themselves when they, air quote, fail? I mean, the same thing goes for someone who wants that opportunity to have grace and compassion for themselves. It's because in the past or even currently, they wrestle with being kind to themselves, even offering themselves a pat on the back for doing X, Y, and Z. We, we are so stingy with this grace and so stingy with this compassion for ourselves that I, I always want people to ask questions about why that is. I didn't know that this discussion was going to reach so deeply into my soul and, and show me everything that was down there. <laughs> yeah, you thought you were going to talk <laughs> but about here we are. reps, but yeah. here we are. The last thing that I would like say in terms of things I repeat myself a lot when when uh, my clients are feeling frustrated about something taking a while or, or if they're just beginning something and excited about it, but also just beginning something right? They're either new at it or, or picking it up again for having not done it in a while is to give yourself a long runway. So this goes for anybody who is starting something new. Like you guys did that habit for 
a month. Well, I would have had you. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't finish the 30 for... day challenge either time. By some of us, right. I do so, need me. What I would have had you do is stretch that runway out over three months, six months. At least that year. sounds really hard. It sure does. <laughs> but so does starting a podcast and look at you guys. And baby, look at us now. Right. We've got a listener in France. We've got 50 of our closest friends tuning in. <laughs> but but the thing is, is it has to start somewhere, right? Absolutely. And, and if you, you know, if you start and think, oh, I only had five listeners. Or for me, I remember hitting 100 followers on Instagram and being like, wow. But all of, you know, I'd get all of my friends. It would be just my friends liking all of my comments or like all of my content on social media. And I was like, my friends love me, you know, but it's, but you have, you start somewhere and then you start moving forward. Now it's not going to be perfect and I'm not going to expect you to go every day. What I hope for it to look like is over that long runway, as you have days where you're on and you hit and you do exactly what you thought was going to happen. But then there's days that don't have that same result. But then there's days that are, and then there's weeks that are stellar and weeks that are a little lousy and then whatnot. But if you stretch that out over a long runway, you start to see this trajectory. And this trajectory, you know, we hope that it starts to go up, but it does not go up linearly. It looks like a squiggly line. There's some backpedaling. There's some big highs, some big lows. But overall, the average shows you going 1% better. Like that's what I want people to be able to kind of look at and accept and be like, this is how progress is made. This is how this is what success can look like. It can look squiggly. It can look a little backslidey at times, but you're taking one foot in front of the other. You might want to have this accomplishment in eight weeks, but let's double that. Let's even triple that. Let's give yourself time because we have to figure out our rhythms and then life happens. I mean, all of these things that we can't control. And if we don't allow ourselves that long runway or even compassion in the process and neutrality around it, then of course we're going to feel like, well, what's the point? And just like, you know, throw it away. That's the biggest advice I like to give to clients is to give yourself more time than you think you need, and then add more time to it. (laughs) (laughs) So our next challenge is going to be a 90-day challenge, I guess, Suzanne. (laughs) Or a three. Well, there's something about that that's interesting to me to to think about, that that sometimes time pressure can be motivating, right? You're Mm -hmm. you're playing a game or something, and you see the countdown clock, and you're like, this the short duration motivates me. But then – There's also something where if you have 30 days to accomplish something and your first week you're going through a transition, you start a new job or or just something happens to kind of throw you off your rhythm and you miss five out of those seven days, in my head I would say this challenge is only 30 days. I've already missed five. It's time to just like throw out the whole thing. I'll try it again next month. I'll try it again next month. But if you do, as you say, and give that long runway, missing five days over the course of six months is a much smaller percentage than missing five days over the course of a month. And I I could see how 
that time pressure could both work for people and completely work against people as they're as they're trying to meet those goals. I think it can be hard to stay excited about something when when you're like, oh, I have half a year to work on this. <laughs> but but the thing is, is like, but within that, you can start to break it down into much smaller pieces and and attack it, right? Because it's it's not just like I'm going to do the goal and just going to attack it all at once. It's like this goal has layers, just like an onion. Like I have to start somewhere and build on it, and so it starts creating that opportunity for building blocks to actually accumulate and for you to start. You know, right now I'm like stacking my hand on top of each other as I am explaining this, but like you start to build a foundation. You can't just build a snowman all at once. You have to start with, you know, (laughs) one of them, right? Like, I mean, I don't know how you built snowmans, but. No, I'm just loving all these analogies. It's like a bouquet of analogies. I know you're, you're welcome. Um, but, but that is really what it looks like when we're, when we're trying to attack something and giving it a long runway, right. Or giving it the time it deserves because you can't do everything at once successfully. Maybe if you have a team of like professionals around you to make it happen, but like it takes just building one and then the other, right? It, it just takes time. That skill will build. Elise, I feel like we could talk for hours and hours more. And now that I am just as much your friend as Suzanne is, maybe we will do that one It day. took me eight years. You don't get to... <laughs> I, I get to do what I want. I'm a grown up. <laughs> I've been following Elise on Instagram for for a year. So I've, I've been okay. creeping. Okay, for... you've put in the time. You've put yeah. in the time. <laughs> yeah. We want to be respectful of your time and and Hannah's it's, stomach. Uh, it's needs, about to be my bedtime, if I'm being totally honest. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for joining us. Are there any last words that you that you have for us? Any nuggets to take away? Ask better questions and mm-hmm. stay okay. curious out there. Can I ask you one really quick, silly question? Mm-hmm. So as part of your job, you do a lot of social media content. Mm-hmm. And I think I know the answer to this question. Can you speak to what your most viral Instagram post is? Yes. I had one that had 300,000 views. Whoa. And guess what? I It took me seven seconds to record it. <laughs> My husband was in it. And it was done on the first take. And it was simply me not being able to open up a jar of jam. And I was sitting on the kitchen floor with my hands in my face. And Ben came down. You couldn't see his face. You just saw him grab the jar, open the jar, and put the jar back down on the floor. The caption was like, I strength train for a living, but can't open a jar of jam. And did I have trolls come on here telling me how to train my grip better to be able to open a jar? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> did I also tell them that it was a joke? Yes, but also true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love that you probably have spent hours producing reels, like certain reels and working yes. on them. And then the one that gets 300,000 views is the one that took you seven seconds. The jam mm-hmm. jar. If our listeners want to find you on social media or the interwebs, how can they do that? Yes. Uh, my account is on Instagram at train resilient. Uh, I also have my website as well as uh, trainresilient.com. And you'll see I had a lot of fun with reels uh, in my uh, early days of uh, Instagramming. So I hope you guys enjoy that. And we'll link those when we post this episode. So you have to follow us too. Don't forget that... 
In addition to following us and following Elise, you can always email us at wellherepod at gmail.com if there's long-form comments you would like to provide us. Don't forget to go to wherever you get your podcasts and click that I Am Motivated by Cheese button, which you might know as a follow button. And until next time, I'm Suzanne, and I think grace and movement is the best combo since peanut butter and jelly. And I'm Hannah, and I'm going to stop turning to Instagram for all my nutrition advice. And I'm Elise, here to remind you that exercise is not therapy. And well, here we are. Make it evergreen, evergreen. I see a mother there, a lover and a child. I know a war will come and take away.